Yeah, it's so good. It's so bad that it's good. That is the wrong answer, actually. <laughs> it's just a wild wrong. I am feeling this. Yeah, yeah, yeah! All of them! What are you talking yourself into? I'm trying to talk myself into that. This is what this podcast is for. We're also trying to talk you into it. Welcome to Talk Me Into, the podcast where a group of friends talk each other, and maybe even you, into liking what we like. This episode is The Twilight Zone. My name is Jimmy, and I once wrote a rap called Life's a Fitch. <laughs> My name is Jeff, and I projectile vomited on a crowded subway platform, narrowly missing Dan's and dozens of other people's shoes. I was there. My name's Dan, and I once played keyboard in a band with Jeff called Elvish Presley, even though I don't know how to play keyboard. Wow, dude, that's crazy. Because I we we prepare like a few random facts in advance. And I have a random fact that I was going to use today about Elvish Presley, but I didn't. So I might have to save that for next week. And you'll have two Elvish Presley facts. Yeah. Um, how about we go back, though, to you projectile <laughs> vomiting on a subway platform? So funny story. Uh, Dan... Our good friend Dante and myself were visiting New York Comic Con several years ago. It was one of the last ones that Dan and I went to. We we kind of stopped going over the last few years. Yeah. And um, we rented a hotel room. It was great. We were going to have great fun. I was super stoked. We a got a like, romance. We got the four-day pass or whatever, and we got to New York, and we had some time to kill. Before. Wait. Subtopic. Subbar. Yes. Yeah, was this the Queen's year, or was this the pod hotel year this was the queen's year because the train ride was long okay which is why i needed to take it which i'll get continue to. so uh the way that it, new york comic-con worked this year was the first day was kind of like a preview night it was a wednesday i believe so it starts later in the day it's not like an entire day event so we get to new york and we have some time to kill and we're hungry so i take him to this pakistani place that i was familiar with it's very similar to uh an eatery up in our area and i wanted to show him like hey this is really good been here a few times get some curry goat and just have a good time so we uh can i jump in yes. with an outsider perspective <laughs> jeff had been going to this place for years and hadn't had not brought me to it so i was pretty excited from what i heard about it yeah then we get there and the place is a dirt hole it was much dirtier than I. I, was, I didn't go there like was, every day. I went there like once a year for three years. Or I've so. eaten food all over the world. I'm a bit of a foodie, some would say, <laughs> and I like ethnic food, so I've gone to some questionable places. You go to Europe once, all over the world. I've been. Well, I've been outside of the United States more. Okay. Than that. Uh, any hoozle, never had an issue. This is the first time I actually feared for my safety eating food at an eatery. Continue. So. Then we go to the convention. It's a few hours. Not feeling great. Use the bathroom once, I think. And um, we had planned that night to go to like this conveyor belt sushi. All you can eat sushi place. I was very excited for it. I heard good things. And, you know, sushi is a light, delicious meal. So uh, I was very excited. And we're standing on. We go to Grand Central because I know that there's a a pharmacy in there just to get something because I just wasn't feeling great. And um, we're on the subway platform to go to the sushi place, and <laughs> I'm standing. I can't stop laughing. <laughs> I'm picturing it in my head. I'm standing like in between Dan and Dante, and there's in like a, a crowd of people. Cr it's crowded. This is prime time Grand Central Station. We're 30 seconds platform. from the train arriving. 30 seconds away from the train. 
there's a trash can about two feet to my left. I was like, I don't feel that great. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah. I, I it, remember no warning no, whatsoever. So Dante was near me and Dante's a very mild mannered guy. He doesn't really get angry, uh, like animated or angry like that. Yeah. He can get He's upset like even anybody killed. else. Yeah. So I just, I don't know what happened. I saw the trash can, but it was so quick. My head like shook in the opposite direction in like a, like a lava spray. I was just like, <laughs> it was it was a geyser of vomit. It was everywhere. And, and Dante, women, oh, Dante jumps back. He's like, "What the hell are you doing?" And Dan's like, "What?" And I was like, "I gotta go." And I ran away. And, and we don't know this, where he went. At this time, I had a beard that was about eight inches long so i'm running through a subway platform with vomit in my beard dripping behind me there's a there's just a stream of it on the floor and women are running away from him well everybody was there was who they assumed to be a homeless guy vomiting who knows what onto them and i had i just got a train and it was like a 40 minute subway trip back to where we were staying so i'm on the subway like every single stop i'm like oh my god i'm gonna puke 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 and i find i got back to the hotel and i just i went to bed i fell asleep the next morning refresh baby i was good to go but i i missed dinner so and I was dante was like do you think he still wants to go to sushi with us <laughs> classic dante i was like no i don't think so in my head it was playing in slow motion i was just like <laughs> away from the trash can it was pretty much slow motion in real time too and it was like they weren't they weren't like hey jeff are you okay they were like why didn't you throw up in the trash can good times you could have came back to the hotel i could have been <laughs> face up drowned in my own bomb uh yeah but uh <laughs> that's gross uh so we got a couple little notes uh, primarily, we got a tweet from Cyberman11, who has been really cool about uh, liking our stuff on Twitter and, and retweeting us, us. Retweeting, yeah. Yep. He said he was referring to the Bob Dylan episode, episode four. He said, "Great episode. I enjoy the popular songs, but it's interesting to hear the stories behind the albums." Thank you, Cyberman. Glad you're listening. Yeah, that's that's the point of the show, right? Because yeah. like, it, it, there's a little familiar, there's a little unfamiliar, and you can listen to different episodes and get different things out of it. Yeah. yeah. I think our format is gold, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> it's platinum, actually. Oh, how many times? How many times platinum? Yeah, seven, seven times. Wow. You know, I went platinum selling rhymes, and I still didn't stutter when I said that. <laughs> um, did we get any iTunes reviews? Um, Let me take a look. Our subject line says, great, very funny show. The hosts have actually talked me into things from Son of a Fitch. That sounds familiar. We are... <sighs> 200% wait no two-thirds two-thirds 66% of our reviews are from people on this show come on folks you got to do better leave us a rating leave us a review send us an email talk me into a gmail.com or tweet at us and we will always read it here I'll help and I'll bump that number up to 75% all right I'm, I like it okay let's do it So this is the part of the show where we're telling you guys what we're talking ourselves into. It's not something we want to fill an episode with or particularly we want to talk anybody else into. It's just like a, a self-help portion of the show, right? Self-care. Self-care. I like that. Uh, Jimmy, let's start with you. Oh, okay. Yeah. This week, I am talking myself back into <gasps> hot tea. 
I oh, yeah. am a hot tea boy again. Jimmy and I are big time hot tea boys. I'm back on it too this week. Oh, yeah. Wow. So this started back, um, I think it was last year. I was in a hotel from uh, work. And you know what? I had a little selection of herbal teas. So I was like. And it was a winter during a storm, I yes. believe. I was like, I'm going to give this a try. So I had some citrus herbal hot tea. And I was like, yo, this is slamming. So straight fire. I of course had a tweet about it, and I believe that was when the term "hot tea boys" was coined. Yeah, by uh, me, Dan, and a uh, friend of the show, Ian. So uh, I forgot Ian was a hot tea boy. Shout yeah. out! Shout out to Ian Mondrick. So uh, just going back into hot tea, I, uh, I I'm currently drinking in my Tardis mug, travel mug. Uh, masala chai latte oh, tea yeah. that Dan and I had picked up at the yeah, Indian so market. I was going to say, to put this into perspective, as an outsider who's not a hot tea boy, oh. I'm a cold tea guy. I'm a sweet tea guy. Okay, It's yeah. my preferred tea. Yeah. I feel you. I feel you. It's funny that there's hot tea boys and cold tea guys, but that is a thing. Oh, yeah, I'm true. a cold tea guy. Cold tea guy. So after we recorded the Boston Celtics episode, we went out to dinner, and near uh, the place we were eating is this fantastic Indian market, mm-hmm. and we all went shopping together because that's what you do. Adulting hard. You host podcasts and shop at exotic grocery stores. Yeah. And there was a... I walked into an aisle, and I see both of these lads just staring <laughs> at a wall of teas. All different sorts of teas. There's teas a picture with, that I have screenshotted. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe I snapped it yeah, yeah. on Snapchat. Uh, so, yeah, they're they're really into hot tea. It's good. It's good. In the morning, I go into work. I've had a nice hard-boiled egg for breakfast. Can I offer you a nice egg in these trying times? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's referencing, but okay. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so then I sit down, get my desk organized, and I slide right into a nice... Hot cup of tea, mm-hmm. and it's mm. a great way to start the day. It's great, man. I'm on a big sugar-free decaf, only a little dollop of honey kick. Oh, oh, oh yeah, good. you need the honey. I like my lemon zingers. Yeah. I like my hot chai masala, which obviously you don't need to add honey to that. That mm-hmm. is sweetened. Very. I like my peppermint. <laughs> Open things up. Get it real good. <laughs> wow. So Jim, I like that topic. Thank I um, you. I went on a a sweet tea kick a couple summers ago, mm-hmm. like when I got deep into making my own. Yeah, and uh, I remember that. Yeah, I didn't realize that green tea is like a diuretic. So, <laughs> well, technically all tea is. Yeah, but like, don't go crazy with it because oh, yeah. it's uh, yeah, don't go chasing waterfalls. Don't drink <laughs> a lot of it, Dan. What are you talking yourself into? Uh, I'm talking myself into turning Jimmy's talking himself into a whole episode of talk Jeff into hot tea. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That was a very good <laughs> yeah, flow right there. That was good. You, you, uh, I followed along the whole time. <laughs> it was well presented. I'm talking myself into dressing like a grown up. Okay. That's true. Uh, I've recently, you have been. Uh, uh, yeah. I've recently undergone a, a large uh, weight loss. A pretty significant amount. Congratulations. You Thank look great. You. Thank you. I'm feeling good, and uh, I always sort of wanted to dress better, but it's just, when you're a big person, it's so much easier to throw on a t-shirt and sweatpants, sweatpants, ironically, it's what I'm wearing now, but this is casual time. (laughs) But your hair is done, and you have product in it, so Uh, you do look dapper. Yeah, Yeah, you gotta get that, you gotta get that, uh... That pomade. That pom game going, yeah. Uh, shout out to Fonder's Pomade, 
anyways, yeah, uh, I like a nice button-up with a sweater, a blazer, some nice Oxford shoes. You've been rocking cardigans a lot lately. Yeah, well, I always liked a, a nice cardigan sweater. Uh, I prefer it over a pullover so you don't mess up the hair, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I think it it's a nice way of presenting yourself. You know, I'm not a kid anymore. I'm 31 years old. I don't need the logo of a, of a podcast editor on my chest. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which Jimmy is currently wearing. Yes. Uh, no, so I have a couple logo t-shirts I kept, but for the most part, I donated a lot of clothes. And, uh, yeah, I'm wearing uh, just, like, nice, classy button-downs and sweaters and blazers and khaki pants. It makes you feel good, too. Yeah, I feel yeah. like I'm uh, living my best life. I got to say, after Queer Eye, doing a lot more beard uh, health uh, things. Yeah. It gets Trimming into it. you. Yeah, uh, I'm doing the doing the oil. Doing the oil. Got to do it. If you want some oil yeah. recommendations, hit me up, bro. Oh, yeah, bro. I got you. Yeah. I got a lot of oils at home, too, oh, if yeah? you want some. Yeah. yeah, hit me with those recs. The, that Queer Eye, it seeps into your subconscious, and before you know it, you're doing the French tuck. You're doing the fitted pants. So the other day I had a meeting, a dinner meeting at work. It was after work hours. So it was like, it wasn't a huge deal, but it was still kind of like, we have to go meet with these clients, make sure they're happy, look presentable. Went to a very nice restaurant that I didn't pay for. So it was awesome. Dope. And uh, I tucked my shirt in. At work is casual. Like I could just wear a t-shirt if I want, but I wore a button down shirt Mm -hmm. with a nice pair of pants. And I tucked my shirt in, which I don't usually do. And I was standing in front of the mirror at work after using the bathroom, and I was like, should I French tuck it? <laughs> and I, I didn't because it just – it didn't look well. Uh, but uh, I, I thought about it. I was I was contemplating hey, what I should go with. You had the option. I did. Yeah. yeah. I didn't go with it. So, Jeff, what are you talking yourself into? I'm talking myself into going back to the gym because – That's a tough one. It's a very tough one. Yeah. So the short story of my gym experience is I – for the most part of my adult life, I did physical jobs. So I've never had like a good diet, but the physical part kept me in normal shape. Like You were certainly a member of the proletariat. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, I had one job when I delivered furniture for several months and I got like jacked without even trying. But then, you know, you just it's just kind of like the yin and the yang. Like I eat like garbage, but I do physical work and it cancels out. Yeah. yeah. So then I get a job four years ago sitting down and I was mm-hmm. like, this is not going to be good because I don't want to <laughs> stop eating food that I like because it's my only vice. Yeah. So I joined a gym and I went regularly and I've maintained kind of the same physique. I've gained a little bit of weight, but I've had uh, some health issues in my knees over the last several <laughs> months. You opened up the first episode saying I'm Jeff and I have gout. It's, it's more than that. I do have gout and I have, I have high uric acid levels. It's regulated now, but there are arthritic symptoms in my knees that I'm still trying to figure out that are being treated. So I haven't been able to go to the gym and I have gained a lot of weight and I am at the most unhealthy I've ever been in my life. And now I can go places without crutches. Mm -hmm. So I have to at least do something. So this last week I've gone twice in the last five days of the gym. I was going to go today, but we're podcasting, so I'm going to go tomorrow morning. Yeah. And uh, the first couple weeks back are always the worst because everything hurts. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you just have to just power through that. But I, I need to at least go three times a week is my goal. I keep trying to explain to you, Jeff, just because I lost weight and got healthier, we don't need one fat person in the friendship. <laughs> we can both be healthy and thin. I'm, I'm trying, Dan. All right. I'm trying for you us. You don't have to take it from you don't have to take the mantle of the bat the well, mantle no, of the it's, fat it's from like me. you said you were trying to look better too and a few years ago when i got this new job i was like i can't wear ratty band shirts i have to like buy some clothes so i updated my wardrobe yeah but now i'm mm-hmm. getting too big for them and i'm like uh-oh 
<laughs> like my pants aren't yeah. fitting and like some of my shirts are showing my well we're back like i need yeah. to do something you gotta and, nip it in the bud and it's like i didn't want to get married and like then get bigger oh <laughs> like, you're you're letting her. yourself go big time i don't want to i you're just I sitting really at home to. eating bonbons with all the other housewives <laughs> <laughs> i just don't i mean i know like she's unlucky because she got stuck with me but like i want to at least look okay like for it's not her. a choice yeah <laughs> You put a ring on it and undid your belt. <laughs> what is this podcast about? The Twilight Zone? <laughs> Probably. Jimmy, are you ready to get talked into the Twilight Zone? Yes, I am. Okay. I'm excited that's, for this. That's what I like to hear. What is your exposure to the Twilight Zone as a whole? As a whole, uh, I've seen a few episodes and okay. I've enjoyed them, but I've never taken that deep dive into it. Um, uh, I've enjoyed it. I liked the fact that it's serialized episodes. You, right. don't, you don't have to watch them in order or anything. And uh, I like the the poignant messages that always leaves it leaves it behind. And uh, that's classic science fiction. Yeah, science fiction is a great medium to deliver anything that's socially relevant at the time and just put ideas out there and mm -hmm. that's what i really twilight zone does it wonderfully yeah but just the sci-fi genre as a whole that's that's what it does best in my mm -hmm. opinion jimmy yes you're traveling through another dimension a dimension not only of sight and sound but of mind a journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination that's the signpost up ahead your next stop the twilight zone cool <laughs> that was, that you, was pretty you prepared good. that huh i just read you, it. you were excited <laughs> but you seemed uh, excited to do it so you're not that familiar with it not too familiar uh it's a series from 1959 the twilight zone i believe it ran on cbs originally which would make yep. sense since it is coming back on cbs all access by the time this episode is out the new series hosted by jordan peele will have just premiered on cbs all access and yeah. it's. I'm glad you brought up Jordan Peele because the series was originally helmed by one strong creative voice, and that was Rod Serling, mm -hmm. who created it, hosted it, and I believe he served as even head writer. He did write a lot of it. Yeah. So, Jeff, do you want to sort of run down how the series worked for Jimmy? Well, how it worked was every episode was a, a different... Uh, story it's serialized mm -hmm. uh each episode was bookended by rod serling appearing on screen mm -hmm. giving you just a, a brief little introduction to maybe the theme maybe something particular in the episode and he would transition to the episode he would come back and like jerry springer's final thought <laughs> he would put an end cap on the episode okay i i don't remember when i first started getting into the twilight zone i think it was probably through you jeff we were in a band together, and I don't know. You just were talking about it at the time. There was a lot of reruns showing on the on the Sci Fi Channel. Yeah, that's how um, that's how I got really into it. I mean, as a child, I saw reruns on the TV. You know, I would watch like I think when I was a kid, the creepiest things that I saw on TV. I remember watching with my grandma, and it was like the Living Doll episode, or like yeah, you know, like mm -hmm. ventriloquist stuff, or even like some Outer Limits episodes, and also the one of the made for TV Joey Buttafuoco. Uh, Amy Fisher things when she shot the girl in the head and she falls on the ground and blood comes out. I grouped these things together because they were frightening as a child. It's and funny that you mentioned that because I grouped Twilight Zone in with Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, Tales from the Crypt, another serialized mm -hmm. uh, series as well that was very similar to this. 
Um, but definitely when I was like a young teen, it would play on the Sci-Fi Channel mm-hmm. on the Fourth of July and New Year's Eve. The for- famous New Year's Eve one that we many times have gotten together with a friend of ours, Adam. Yeah, and watched mm-hmm. several episodes. And of I mean, Marathon. this yeah. was this was so inspiring to us that in our previous band we recorded the whole entire Twilight Zone themed EP oh. that we wrote. On New Year's Eve while watching episodes (laughs) of the Twilight Zone. Punk rock concept album. (laughs) That's Yeah, and I mean, like, for what it was, I'm still very proud of it. But let's get to the heart of uh, what it did that was sort of different than a lot of the genre television of the time. It sort of tapped into something that's common for science fiction writing, like long form writing, which is it used science fiction tropes and ideas to... Um, bring to light some commentary on relevant social causes and issues of the day. So you you have episodes that are using, like I said, science fiction ideas as metaphor to explain uh, the plight of the working man or racial injustice mm-hmm. or uh, the futility of war, things like that. So, yeah, it definitely spoke to me as a young, angry teenager that uh, even back in the 19... 19- late 1950s, early 1960s, Rod Serling was using creative fiction to shine a light on some of these issues. Mm -hmm. So Twilight Zone is a big cultural phenomenon, and I do believe it has been brought back in different series and different, uh, I believe they made a movie as well too, correct? They did. So what's what's the difference between the the original series and the the remakes or the movies that have been done before? It's just better, and it had Rod Serling in it. Yeah. The 80s movie movie was cool because it was a retelling of classic episodes with a modern twist and modern actors at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, The 80s, there was an 80s series and an early 90s series, and forgettable. Yeah. See, this is why I feel that um, the Jordan Peele one is going to be cool because- to me, the reason why the original series is better than all the remakes is because it had a strong um, guidance from a creative yeah. person, basically. Yes. And Jordan Peele is exactly becoming one of the best I mean, directors. Whereas Get Out was essentially a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, Us yeah. looks like it's going to be essentially a Twilight Zone yeah. episode. It's a fantastic choice. Yeah, yeah. so the, the remakes, the movie, and then the relaunch of the series, they were not headlined by a creative you know, mm-hmm. forward thinking person. They were basically just living in the nostalgia of the original series. Yeah. So they didn't really have a lot to say, in my opinion. A lot the movie was a rehash of existing episodes primarily. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I'm optimistic about the new series. And uh if you've seen the new series and you want to let us know how it is, feel free to shoot us an email or send us a tweet because that may be something we're interested in. Yeah, I mean it's, we're recording a few weeks before it comes out, but I'm excited to see it. Yeah. So, Jeff, we kind of went through and picked out a few episodes that we thought would be um, important for Jimmy to see. Either right. in, important in that they are indicative of the series or well-known as representative of the mm-hmm. series. So, so why don't you shout out one of the episodes that we're going to be watching and why you picked it. Actually, I'll do the first one because we'll go chronological here in, okay. in, in the order they came out. So one of my favorites is an episode called Time Enough at Last. It was from season one, episode eight. Uh, it stars Burgess Meredith. And I don't want to give too much away, but it's about uh, what happens when you get what you wish for. Basically, be careful what you wish for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's an interesting one. And then one that we sort of knew that we want to do together 
was the obsolete man. Right. We wrote a song about it. <laughs> What's that one about, Jeff? The obsolete man takes place at a time when they're moving forward and they don't need certain things. It's sort of projected in the near future. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's this one guy clinging on to something in the past, but he's claiming that you do need me. You do need this service. Yeah. And it's an argument between, uh, would you say living in the past and well, it's also what happens when the state has power to determine what's culturally relevant. Right. And that's season two, episode 29. And then um, Five Characters in Search of an Exit, that's a big one just in the course of the show's history. I, I think that was right. pretty you, you well You might known. even recognize it. It's It has some mm-hmm. iconic characters in it. Mm-hmm. And um, that's season three, episode 14. I don't want to get too much into that, but the title kind of says it all. <laughs> Five Characters Trapped in an Uncomfortable Situation, let's just say. Mm-hmm. And then Nightmare, Nightmare, <laughs> Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, Season 5, Episode 3. This That's is a classic, this right? This is a classic, iconic. Yeah. It's William Shatner. He has a horrific, oh, Shatner's in that horrific yeah. fear of flying, as, as do I, so I relate to this character greatly. <laughs> uh, they redid it in the 80s with John Lithgow. They're redoing it now with um, Adam, Adam Scott. Adam Scott. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, it's... Uh, I knew Adam Scott had a role to play, but I didn't know it was a remake of this, but... um. This one was actually parodied like some of the other Twilight Zone episodes in Treehouse of Horrors. Oh, yes. really? I don't even remember this one. Yeah, so you may be... I, I probably already know the entire concept yeah, of it. You may be familiar with... I don't know if any of these other ones have been that we picked, but there's definitely Twilight Zone episodes that were parodied in that. And yeah. the last episode is from Season 5, Episode 19. It's not... It's very. It was very difficult for me and Dan to just pick five episodes of the Twilight Zone because mm. there's so many amazing ones. Um, this episode, Night Call, is a personal favorite of mine. I don't know if it's popular. I don't, it, it doesn't really have a message to it. Mm-hmm. It is one of the- Just a personal favorite. It's one of the few things in any form of media I've been absolutely creeped out and terrified by. Yeah. So I picked it because the Twilight Zone isn't all about these huge overarching social themes. There's some things that are just creepy, mm-hmm. and that's fine. And I wanted to show you that there's a lot more to the show. You might be digging for an answer in this, but yeah, it's not. Yeah. It's just, it's terrifying. Okay. All right. So we encourage you to watch these five episodes, you being Jimmy and the listener at if home. If you haven't already, which yeah. you probably should have. <laughs> <laughs> so check them out. They're available streaming on Hulu. Time enough at last. The Absolute Man, Five Characters in Search of an Exit, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, and Night Call. And when we come back, we're going to discuss them and find out if we talk Jimmy into the Twilight Zone. I'll allow it. It's been a couple of weeks since 30 seconds ago when you last heard our voices. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in those two weeks, we all watched five episodes of The Twilight Zone. Yes, we did. Was it five? Wow. Time flies when you're having fun. 
Hmm. Such fun, much wow. But was it fun? Oh, that's the big question. Let's find out if it was fun or not. Oh, okay. So, spoiler warning: we will be giving away all the plot points to Time Enough at Last, season one, episode eight; The Obsolete Man, season two, episode twenty-nine; Five Characters in Search of an Exit, season three, episode fourteen; Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet, season five, episode three; and Night Call from season five, episode 19 of the original series of The Twilight Zone. And Jimmy, could you repeat all that back real quick? <laughs> Time enough at last. It was in season one. The no, stop, man. stop. Okay. This is... <laughs> so, Jim. Yes. What'd you think? So, let's just go episode by episode because they're all pretty uh, serialized. Yeah. Um, so, our first episode was Time Enough at Last. Um, yeah. I knew of this episode from pop culture. Um, I basically knew the twist from the beginning, but that's fine. I mean, it's not necessarily about the twist. Um, the twist meaning that um, the world is going to end and he would break his glasses. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I knew about this because of uh, Family Guy, funny enough. Oh, um, they did a spoof of it? Yeah, it was basically Peter's last brain cell, and then he was by himself, and then he was like, all oh, these books, I get to read these books, and then his glasses broke. Mm-hmm. It's literally just a direct spoof. Well, spoiler alert. Yeah. So um, I knew about it because of that, but that's fine. It's not about that. Um, so I knew the twist. I knew everything, but I there was one little part where, um, oh, right as the bombs were coming off, um, the, uh, oh, he has a pocket watch and the pocket watch breaks. I yeah. was like, oh, that's a little bit of foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. I like that. So for, for the listeners, in yes. case you didn't feel like watching all of the episodes, this stars Burgess Meredith, yes. yeah, who is the Penguin and <clears throat> Mick from Rocky and Oh, I didn't know he was the penguin from yeah. the original Batman series. Yep. And fun fact, I looked it up because I know he's in several Twilight Zone episodes. Mm-hmm. He is tied in first place with another actor for being on the most episodes of four. Mm. I thought there were more. Oh but, really? Who's yeah. the other actor? Is it William Shatner? No, I can't remember the other it was a name I didn't recognize. Oh. You could find it on Wikipedia very easily. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And he is a total bookworm nerd. Yeah, yeah. And he puts his hobby pretty much above everything else. He's just obsessive about that, which we can all relate to at some level. Yeah, and and he was having problems because obviously he likes to read. Um, but his job didn't allow him to read. Which I mean, okay, yeah, whatever. He probably shouldn't be reading at work, but that's another story. Um, and he also couldn't read um at home either because his wife wasn't a fan of him taking all of his time and uh reading i still think it's unfair because everybody everybody for shit sure. on this dude like yeah, yeah. he just wanted to read a newspaper and she hit it on him yeah, yeah that, that jumped out to me watching the episode too i'm like it's normal for henry's boss to restrict his reading time it's yeah but is what not normal for his overbearing wife to not yeah. allow him to read yeah it, it was sort of playing with the themes of like anti any intellectualism um yeah. stuff like that she's also like a psycho because yeah, yeah. Like, who scribbles on every page of a book oh, and then tears up a book in front of their significant other? Yeah. Like, and he had to, like, sneak books into his coat when he was going out? Yeah, that's that's some psycho shit. He was, like, yeah, sneaking yeah. books. Like, I was sneaking Weird Al songs into my wife's Taylor Swift playlist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but uh, I found Henry Bemis, like, super relatable. Like, Oh, for sure. You know, we're obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you know that we like to consume media. Yeah. And yeah. to have someone... I've worked at a bank, and I know what it's like to try to sneak reading. Sometimes... Obviously, in this show, they're going to edit it to show when the customers are there. But mm-hmm. sometimes, depending on your level of busyness, there's downtime. And oh, yeah, yeah. 
when you're not doing <clears throat> when you're not helping a customer that could be a very boring job mm-hmm. so everyone tries to sneak reading a magazine or a book or whatever yeah for nowadays sure. it's cell phones but yeah um and uh another note that i took was uh, i really like the the narration throughout the episode yeah i thought it was very well written i'm guessing that was rod sterling um sterling i'm not sure sterling. if he wrote this episode but um he probably has a hand to play in his monologues that he does in the narration yeah yeah stuff. um and I, then oh sorry no i was just gonna say um i don't know if you guys noticed but early on when the bank manager was sort of like yelling at henry bemis about reading he basically told him to go back to his cage which is an an industry term for his teller station but i also found it very fitting that he basically feels like trapped and imprisoned by this job and by his wife and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so i thought it was kind of funny that he was told to return to his cage yeah yeah um and then the the bomb happens um all of humanity is obliterated. It happens as he was reading a newspaper <laughs> with the it. headline "H bomb capable of total destruction." <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I thought that was funny. Um, and then, uh, so he's trying to figure out like stuff to do because he's all alone. So, well, to back up a little bit, okay. What'd you guys think of how they depicted the bomb going off? Because obviously there was budgetary limitations and mm-hmm. technology limitations, but I thought it was really like beautifully handled the way. Mm. The book flapped open, likely due to the change of air pressure that would have come. Oh, yeah. I didn't and then that. the clock, uh, the watch face cracking. Yeah. I, I thought that was like a nice little simple way of showing that. Yeah. yeah and then the, obviously the camera shaking. Yeah. And I mean, and then afterwards the destruction, it was more yeah. just like a very well constructed uh, stage. Like yeah. A play. Uh, I, I wrote down the saying that the, the set design looked really good after the bomb dropped. Yeah. Um, I thought it was pretty good for a 1950s. 1960s TV set. It was. And and I'll, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit later about the HD transfer and stuff. Mm-hmm. But when you're watching shows this old, you have to take into consideration that a lot of things weren't going to show up based on the technology yeah. of the day. Yeah. Especially like special effects wires and things like that. Mm-hmm. They could count on a level of obscurance. I don't know if that's even a word, but they could count on a level of things not being seen just due to poor quality. Yeah. So the fact that some of these sets still hold up in the HD transfer mm-hmm. is pretty impressive. Like, I don't think it was a matte painting. I think they actually used a painted background mm-hmm. for some of those long distance oh, shots. Oh, yeah, for sure. And they're pretty good. Like, you can tell that they're paintings, but they have a good amount of depth to it, and they've they've staged out the scene enough to have things in the foreground and background that it it doesn't give the illusion that he's acting in front of a flat background oh yeah no it, it was very much like believable yeah um it, even in 2019 i was like oh that looks really good so that was very impressive to me um especially for season one too yeah i mean season ones get crap budgets i know like we were talking about doctor who that was i mean that's an example of it not being great um, but they did what they could. So yeah. I mean, Doctor Who, they didn't care about. Like, they literally just yeah, destroyed yeah. original <laughs> yeah. films. Like, there's missing tons of missing episodes. Yeah. Because yeah. BBC was like, we need to record the news over this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a thing back then. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, so he discovers that he can get uh, books. He, he finds the public library right before, or right before he was basically about to take his own life. Um, because he was basically like, eh, there's no point for me being here anymore. So I like that. I like that they visited or they, they talked about loneliness mm-hmm. and I mean, it was condensed. It was overnight because yeah, they're yeah. not going to show him there for like weeks and months. Yeah. But like in that situation, 
I think a lot of people might think that mm-hmm. they're the only person. Yeah. There's nothing to do. Yeah. You have nothing. You don't know when if you're gonna have your next meal because he's yeah. just like throwing leftovers away. Because yeah. at first he was like, "I have everything to myself," but then he quickly realizes that this sucks. Yeah. So I think they did a good to- a good job at condensing what would likely happen mm-hmm. over time. Yeah. To I thought Bridges Meredith was really good in this role overall. Like, I agree. Sort of like physically the way he was just sort of tottering and stammering through the wreckage. And then um, it was like juxtaposed by Rod Serling's narration of, you know, what it would be like when you're the last man on earth and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then like Jeff was saying, it is condensed into a short period of time, but he does go through the whole range of emotions after the bomb. Like, First, there's the initial shock and the fear mm-hmm. of, you know, trying to get out of the building and stuff like that. And then he confronts the loneliness and despair. But there's also a freedom and liberation. And and there's like a, a jubilance when he yeah. finds the library, too. So he really does oh, yeah. go on a journey emotionally. Sure. He sorts out all the books. He, he, yeah. plans out, he plans out years worth of reading right yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. And then as he was reaching for another book, his glasses fell. And then that's when we get the uh, the message of be careful what you wish for. And um, overall, I thought the the episode was enjoyable. It it played a lot of the themes of be careful what you wish for, and then it also had the intele- anti intellectualism kind of thing with it. And then there was also the the theme of solitude versus loneliness. Mm. Um, he wanted he wanted to be alone, being able to get his books, but uh, he he re- quickly realized that you should be uh, be careful that solitude is a lot more different than uh, being by your whole self yeah basically so i wanted to pose a question to you guys mm-hmm. um when he broke his glasses did you feel sympathy for bemis or did you feel that it was justice uh i think you gotta feel sympathetic yeah i felt a little more sympathetic i did it first i empathize with him yeah but then it's hard not to look back to just like a few minutes earlier in the episode and see how joyful he was. That everyone was dead. Yeah. And it's yeah. only like a day mm-hmm. after the end of the world and he's already like, okay, I, I can be okay no, with but, this. That's but, true. But I think that, like I said, everything is so condensed. Yeah. And especially for a TV show 60 years ago. So do you think that it was condensed in story? Meaning, um, do you think this really took place over one day? Or do you think it was condensed for the sake of television, meaning if this was written in long form, it would have stated that it would have taken place over a longer period of time? I think the latter. So you think that Mm. in story, this was maybe a week or weeks or something like that, and we're only seeing snippets of it? No, I think they did portray it as only one day. Okay. But I think they just did that so it wasn't overly complicated for a mainstream TV audience 60 years ago. Yeah. Because back then, TV, you would put on for a couple hours, watch it at the dinner table, and then it just goes away, and you never know when you'll see that episode again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a hard time with that, whether he should be empathized with or not. I guess and isn't that the joy of the show, ambiguous. Dan? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I definitely felt a little empathetic because he was kind of just being crapped on throughout the entirety of his life. And but then, all, what about all the other millions and billions of innocent people that died? Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he didn't. He wasn't the one who caused it. Um, so, but he know. also didn't mourn. But them. also, would no. you think that, like, so if a bomb went off where I was yeah. and the surrounding area was just decimated? I'd be like, oh, my God, this like if I was at work, I'd be like, this is terrible. Yeah, I'm alive. Everybody's dead. But maybe 20 miles away, a bomb didn't go off Mm -hmm. and people are still alive. Yeah. Let me try to walk. Yeah. 
I don't think the episode really touched upon the millions of other people that also died. Um, I, I think that maybe there could have been a little piece of narration that was like, and then, uh, what was his name? Henry uh, Bemis. And then Henry Bemis uh, suddenly realized that there were millions of other people that were that were suddenly gone as well. Like, it didn't. the episode didn't really touch upon it. Uh, it was just kind of basically about his personal story. And then just yeah. the, the people that he was associated with, he didn't have to deal with anymore. It's tough. Yeah, I don't know. Um, overall, I, I, I did like the episode, I, but... Yeah, this is one of my favorite episodes. But I, I didn't, I didn't feel it was like his just desserts. I, I felt a little empath, empathetic with yeah. him. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, moving on to the next episode. Yes. The obsolete man. It's another Burgess banger, fellas. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was really good that you guys picked it right after. I mean, it was, it was accidental. Yeah. We, we picked episodes and then just sorted it out by release date, chronological. Order. Yeah. So um, let me give a little backstory on what this little brief rundown in the plot description before we delve into it. Mm-hmm. Um, Romney Wa- Wordsworth, ironic <laughs> title. Yeah, Wordsworth. Yeah. Uh, That's my first note that I wrote down. A librarian named Mr. Wordsworth. Yeah. So he's played by Burgess Meredith, as we said. Yeah. Uh, he's basically called before a state chancellor, sort of like a tribunal thing, to determine whether or not as a librarian he is necessary to the state. Uh, or is obsolete. So the state determines that he's absolute, obsolete and that he will be <laughs> basically executed. And liquidated. Liquidated. Yes. Because yeah, he's a commodity. Yeah. yeah. And he is given the ability to choose the manner and time of his destruction. So he basically unfurls this plan to basically trick the chancellor into being in his home when he is going to be killed by bomb. Yeah. And all this is playing out on the state-run TV so that he can make a point that no one is truly obsolete. And when the state turns on you, I don't, I don't know what to say, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's trying to prove that no one's obsolete and that no one yeah. deserves to be treated this way. Yeah, for so, sure. Uh, back to what Jimmy said, how you liked how this is the next episode. It yeah. is kind of a spiritual successor. Yeah, yeah. Because he's a librarian now. Yeah, yeah. Um, just a couple like thematic things. I thought it was cool. Um, the, the chancellor kept on asking for him to like step forward and he was always stepping out of the shadows. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Cause he's like the obsolete man. He shouldn't really be there. Um, and, uh, I don't, I don't have a whole lot written down. It was just basically, it was a cool episode, cool idea. Um, I really liked the, the ideas that it brought upon and, uh, the, the twist about, um, how it turned out the the chancellor was also found as like the obsolete man i was like oh he's the obsolete man it's not uh not necessarily yeah. the uh mr wordsworth i do like um since i've seen this episode many times but i've never watched it with the intent to review it mm-hmm. so i noticed that this episode only had two sets it was yeah. the tribunal room yep and wordsworth's apartment room, yeah. Or, yeah as he called it his room. apartment and i like the juxtaposition how the state room is just bleak empty yeah utilitarian yeah and his room is full of life and yeah. character yeah and who he is as a person yeah. i thought that was a cool way to portray that and i also liked at the beginning of the episode uh rod serling his introduction he says logic is an enemy and truth is a menace and mm-hmm. that is very apt now yeah 
Fake news, in, Jeff. In Trump's America. Fake news. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's, it's pretty sad that yeah. almost 60 years later, this episode is still poignant. Yeah. yeah. I thought the um, there were some powerful performances, especially in the beginning, the argument between Wordsworth and the state chancellor um, as he like approached the bench and was basically being tried as obsolete mm-hmm. and stuff like that was really good. And I also love the physical performances when the chancellor finds out about the bomb and Wordsworth is just like serenely and calmly reading his Bible. Yeah, yeah. And if you you juxtapose that with the su- the close up of the chancellor who's the sweating and going. fidgeting yeah. and basically freaking out, and it it just shows um, sort of what a lack of faith can do to your life when you mm-hmm. get to these moments. Yeah, I agree. And then that's culminated in the chancellor screaming to be let out in the name of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really good. What'd you guys think about the very ending? How, after all that, Wordsworth did still end up dying, mm-hmm. and the Chancellor did end up living. I thought that it was a good example of martyrdom, especially yeah, yeah. when you're using you know biblical. Well, I mean, he ended up living in that situation, but yeah, he was still found obsolete, he's... and he'll still have to be executed. In the yeah, yeah. yeah and Wordsworth yeah. died to prove his point. Yeah, for sure. Well, he was going to die anyway, so he could have either died and done nothing or died yeah. and tried well, to done something. It's fiction. They could have spun it and said, like, they could have traded his life to let the chancellor live. You never know. The mm. fact that they didn't somehow write him out of that room, I thought was more powerful. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I agree. And I love the last visual of, like, the gray suited, like, moaning crowd. Oh, yeah. Just, just closing in him. on the yeah. chancellor. You are obsolete. Well, it's like they're going to like tear him apart. Yeah. Like a basically. zombie invasion or something. Yeah. Yeah. That was really good. Definitely one of my favorite episodes that we watched. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I I watched these on CBS All Access mm-hmm. and they did something cool because it used to be on Netflix. I don't. Is it still on Netflix? No. Or Hulu or wherever. It's on Hulu. Hulu. Um, They kept at the end of the episode the bumper in the preview. For next week, do they I've have that on Hulu that, too? Yeah. Uh, I'm no. not sure because I have them on Blu-ray and they are oh, on they, Blu-ray. They do that on the Blu-ray. Yeah. Oh, it's so cool! It's Rod Serling introducing oh, and really? describing the next yeah, episode. It's like on next week's episodes, episodes, you can yeah, expect to cool. find this. Yeah, that wasn't on. Uh, I don't think that was on Hulu unless it was like in between. You know how Hulu's like play the next episode or whatever. Yeah. yeah uh, so I always went to the next episode. It if it is on Hulu, you might not have seen it because in the real show. It always came after the last commercial break. So it seems like mm. the show is over because Got you get it. the final narration, you get the credits, and you get a commercial. Mm-hmm. And then there's Rod Serling sitting in studio talking about the next episode. And then yeah. the show's over. Yeah. So you could easily see those credits and think, that's the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So uh, five characters in search of an exit. Yeah, this one to me... It's not one of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes, but it always feels like a quintessential Twilight Zone episode. I to agree me. with that. Mm. Just the way it's structured, the twist, the message, always is one of the first ones I think about when I think of classic Twilight Zone episodes. Okay. You want to Jeff run down a little bit of the plot? There's not a lot of whole whole lot of plot to this. Yeah, episode. There, there's an army mm. major. He wakes up from being passed out, unconscious, whatever, mm-hmm. and he's in a. Uh, like a cylindrical room with a clown, a hobo, a ballet dancer, and a bagpipe bagpipe player. Yeah. And they don't know how they got there, and they don't know how to get out, and they don't know where they are. And that's the entire point of the episode. The mm-hmm. entire episode takes place in this room. Yeah. So what would you think, Jim? Um. So 
I like the idea of them like kind of theorizing about why they're there, uh, why they don't have any memories. And then uh, I thought the the trying to get out of this cylindrical room was interesting and cool. Um, but I just I didn't feel like the twist had it for me. I was like, uh, eh. did you see it coming? No, I didn't see it coming. I mean, I I was kind of reading Wikipedia as I was going through about the episodes. Mm. And so I, I did see that it turned out that they were dolls before the actual twist in the show happened. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. But I was like, eh, I just wasn't feeling it. Um, well, to sort of back it up to the beginning, I thought that to me, one of the standout things of this episode is the dialogue writing, which is always strong Mm, in Twilight Zone. Yeah. Some of these monologues that the characters give to like explain themselves and what they know about the room and Mm -hmm. stuff are very lyrical. Yeah. Like beautiful writing. Yeah. And I also thought that, um, Murray Matheson is the actor who played the clown mm-hmm. i thought he was really good he was he's sort of this nice balance of like entertaining and menacing and antagonistic mm. and it was i thought it was really like sort of profound that initially as you meet all these different characters in the room their sole focus and drive is to get out of the room so everything they're discussing is pragmatic about have you tried this mm. have you found this did you know can we do this but it's the clown who's thinking philosophically about why they're there, why yeah, they yeah. belong there, mm-hmm. should they get out. I, I'd agree with that. And it's kind of you know fitting in classical literature that the clown would be the one having these high-minded thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the the character stuff was really good. Like obviously, their five characters are all five distinct personalities and stuff. Um, the army major is like definitely the one who like needs to get out, and obviously he's the one that like is the one that does get out and um i thought the characters were really written very well um but just the the uh, when i think twilight zone i kind of think of like the the kind of twist and it, the twist itself just didn't have it for me but i i do agree that the writing was done very well yeah there's a line in this that kills me every time when um when the major sort of announces that they're in hell he's like tapping on the walls with his sword and the hobo mm-hmm. has this line he says um let him be. Let him have his fun. Yeah. And that just, that's such a dark line to me. It's like, mm. this guy is basically saying we're all in hell and we deserve to be yeah. here. Yeah. He's well, he's, like, he's gone mad at this point. Yeah. He's they like, can't let him find have his a fun. reason yeah, why yeah. they're there. So he just went to hell. Yeah. His brain. Yeah. And I <clears> thought the uh, the ending, although maybe this maybe the twist didn't hit as hard for you, mm-hmm. I think that last image of the, the doll people. Yeah, yeah. With the ballerina taking the major's hand and then a tear coming out mm-hmm. is pretty That's creepy. That's pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah. It's powerful and creepy and weird. It's the uncanny valley, baby. Yeah. Well, yeah. I also found out, um, I was doing some reading and I always assumed that that was like the make- actors. makeup on the actors. Yeah. And no, it, they're it actually wasn't. Dolls. They're actually yeah. like dolls yeah. made, made for that. Yeah. Which is pretty, pretty creepy. Yeah. <laughs> it's done well. But it was also claustrophobic too. So mm, they're, they're, when that. you're watching it, you just feel unsettled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a really smart bottle episode, like that term that you hear an elevator episode or a bottle episode. Mm-hmm. Very cost effective way of cramming basically all your action into one set. Yeah, and a pretty basic set at that. It was probably oh, yeah. just a little three wall set. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I thought that was a. I don't know. It's just one of the ones I always think of. Yeah, I thought it was enjoyable, but it was so far my weakest. Mm. So that brings us to Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, 
which is another one that we chose basically because of its classic nature. And and as Jeff mentioned in the previous part Mm -hmm. of this episode, it's been remade several times throughout the course of the different incarnations of the Twilight Zone. It's a popular one. And let's talk about it and find out why. Yeah. Yeah. Remember uh, how classy he was to fly in a plane, dressing up? Oh, I know. Smoking. Flight, flight attendants knowing your name, curtains over the windows, able to light up a cigarette without a care. Yeah. Carry great. a gun on the plane. Yeah. It's, just, it's great. Oh, so classy. Thanks, so, Bin Laden. So this is a pretty easy one to plot out. It's basically Shatner starring as a man named Bob, I believe. Bob. Yeah. And yeah. he is on a flight home. It's insinuated that he's been away for some time due to a mental break- yeah, breakdown. Yeah, they said six months. So, yeah. so you know he's yeah. not he's not mentally stable, mm-hmm. and he is afraid of flying. His last breakdown happened on an airplane, mm-hmm. and as he gazes out the window, he sees what he believes to be a gremlin, yeah, a creature on the wing trying to destroy the plane, and obviously chaos ensues from there. Yeah. So this was the first episode I had a real big problem with the pacing. Okay. Really? Yeah. It just they're really hitting it over the head. Is I'm looking over outside and there's a gremlin, and then people look over and then the gremlin's gone, and they do that at least six times. Yeah, ha- that happens a lot. Um, I I get it. It's '60s television. Um, they really have to hit the nit the the head of the nail in the coffin. I understand that. Well, they're um, also building tension and a yeah, feeling of foreboding. It's yeah, getting worse every time. I agree. Um, I, I did know the the twist of this. Uh, well, not really a twist, but I did know the premise of this because of the Treehouse of Horror episode. We talked about that yep. in the original thing. Um, and I just I kept on thinking, I was like, wow, The Simpsons got it done in like five minutes, and hmm. I found it more effective. Um, but I. So I relate to this episode. Yeah. We've talked sure. on this podcast before yeah. that I'm not a fan of flying. Mm-hmm. And two years ago recently, I flew for the first time in 20 years. And I was William Shatner <laughs> in that episode. Yeah. He, the way he acted and just pulled everything off, that is exactly how I was for mm-hmm. six hours I, straight. I, I was surprised what? at how good of an actor William Shatner was. I was like, oh, he's he has some like acting chops here. Because there, there's so much going on and people with yeah. the fear of flying. Like I looked into it over the 20 years. Like, is there a way to overcome it? And yeah. a lot of times it's like the one thing that be, there's like no doctors or whoever don't really know how to treat it. You just can't do it. And there's so many emotions in there. There's anxiety, mm-hmm. there's fear, there's cowardice, yeah. like self cowardice. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just panic and your heart rate is elevated. And he did such a good job yeah. at portraying all of those mm-hmm. feelings at once. I'd agree. I, I think William Shatner was the, the, the saving grace of this episode. He's um, a little over the top, but I think it's he, William Shatner. He does sell the anxiety. <laughs> yeah, I love whenever I think about this episode. I just remember those close-ups on his face and just yeah. the beads of sweat. Yeah, and that look of anguish and turmoil on his face. Yeah, he was really good. I also wanted to note that this episode is written by Richard Matheson, who's a pretty famous writer even outside of the Twilight Zone. But mm-hmm. he he did write sixteen episodes of the Twilight Zone. Okay. He also wrote the novel I Am Legend. Mm. Um, that was made into a lot of movies like Omega Man and I Am yeah. Legend. And he also wrote the novel What Dreams May Come that mm-hmm. had a movie based on it. Yep. Uh, so he's he's written a lot of Twilight Zones that I love too. Okay. But uh, the other thing, I because like I said, this was four episodes in and mm-hmm. I was like, I've seen the episode. So, you know, I was just uh, nitpicking it. Yeah. 
And I was like, they're at 20,000 feet, yet it's pouring rain. Aren't they above the clouds at this point? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I went on like a, a mission to find out mm-hmm. how how high they have to be to surpass rain clouds. And apparently there can be clouds at 20,000 feet. Oh. And if it's a big storm, usually they're around six and a half thousand feet, but a huge storm could reach up to 50,000 feet, which is way higher than any commercial flight oh, goes. Wow. So oh, it, it could be pouring rain while you're flying. Oh. That's frightening. <laughs> oh, I've flown when it's raining. I've definitely flown, I've flown the rain. through the rain, and then in like a minute and a half, you're out of the clouds. Mm. I also think the title is a bit of a, a simplification because I imagine that this episode took place over the course of the entire flight or nearly the entire flight. Yeah. And you don't stay at one altitude for long. That's true. I mean, it depends. You do stabilize at like 30-something thousand or 40,000. I'm right? sure it depends on the flight. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I didn't look too far into that. I did notice, if we want to pick some nits here, mm. probably not the best idea to leave the guy suffering from hallucinations with a history of mental health disorders sitting in the emergency exit seat. Yeah. They actually, like, when when you sit there, the flight attendant they actually comes you. to you yeah. and asks you well, now, I don't know about if you feel capable yeah. of performing the duties if necessary. <laughs> Apparently he was. <laughs> Because, that's rough yeah he uh he opens it up and then tries to shoot the gremlin and uh i guess the uh the twist at the end is the gremlin actually was there and then yeah uh, the gremlin looked real bad and i think that's yeah. one of the reasons why this episode is so easily adapted in future yeah they can in- make the gremlin look cooler well that's their goal but the yeah. problem is the rest of the episode usually fails i mean part of the episode right. is william shatner yeah i'm interested to see the adam scott one I'm interested to see what what Jordan Peele is going to do with the entirety of the the new Twilight Zone. Yeah, because I'm sure you can think of a lot of really cool ideas and stuff. But but also like as you made reference, Jim, mm-hmm. um, to the way flying was back then, and I'm a huge fan of the TV series Mad Men. Yeah, and all I can equate this to is that time period. They oh, sh- for sure, they, they get into some flying and stuff on that. Yeah, and um, I don't know. The character Bob is such a Don Draper, like a man's oh, man. Oh, for sure, yeah. I love how he just describes it as a... He, I literally quoted him. He, he says it's a teensy-weensy breakdown. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, yeah. obviously something was serious enough <laughs> yeah. that you went away for six months. Yeah. And he's just downplaying it. It's just a teensy-weensy mental breakdown. Yeah, that's... Well, I think that's how a lot of people who would deal with something as extreme as a six-month mental breakdown <laughs> yeah. is teensy-weensy, or they're embarrassed by it, or they just don't yeah. want to talk about it. Yeah. And I I do... I talked to you about how I struggled to empathize with the character in um, Time Enough at Last. Mm-hmm. I, I have 100% empathy for Bob in this episode, because yeah. he was not crazy. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And no one will ever know that. Yeah. Correct. They yeah. carted him away to the loony bin. Yeah. Um. So, I I didn't really see that there was much of a like message. I guess like kind of like believe your friends. I don't know. But that's the thing. Uh, you don't need a message in Twilight Zone. <laughs> yeah. No. And well, it also kind of goes back to like, do you trust yourself? And mm. it, when should you trust yourself? And what is the nature of sanity? Yeah. Can you believe? what you're seeing and hearing. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it was necessarily a message. I think it was just adding depth to, yeah. to a conversation. I'd agree with that. So um, overall, I thought it was okay. It was my weakest of the episodes. Ooh. Mm. Yeah. It was my weakest one. Mm. I just wasn't feeling the pacing. It was really, I don't know, really slow. Oh, I love it. To me, I love how it builds. Yeah. 
So uh, the last episode that we're going to talk about is Night Call. Yeah. And like we've just talked about, this just so happens to be the chronologically last episode in the series. Mm -hmm. But Twilight Zone, uh, it deals with these like huge social issues, political issues. Um, It could delve into like character traits like we've talked about. It could just deal with like these weird feelings, just like the claustrophobia or anxiety or panic. And sometimes you don't get any of that. And you just want something a little weird and creepy. And that's why I picked this episode, because the first time I saw this, I was sleeping over my grandparents' house (laughs) and like just sci-fi channel was on and it was dark and like I didn't have a smartphone, so I couldn't just play a game or whatever. And like the volume was just at a certain level where these phone calls coming through just creep the hell out of me. And I want to I want to see what you guys uh, thought about this episode, which was um, it's about this older lady. I didn't take any notes because it's very simple. Mm. It was about this older lady who you know lived at home she had a caretaker and she kept getting these phone calls and nobody was talking and then this creepy voice would just start to talk to her through the phone and it mm-hmm. just led her to be crazy and then um I, I don't know if you guys want to give away the twist at the yeah, end yeah sure pretty simple uh it turns out there's a downed phone wire in the yeah. cemetery and it was uh her fiance from years ago mm-hmm. calling her from beyond the grave Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. it's 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 very silly but yeah. just the the build-up is what i why I picked this episode. So this was actually adapted by Richard Matheson, the guy oh. who wrote the last one, from a short story of his own writing called Long Distance Call, but he changed the ending. Oh, oh. really? Oh. Okay. What was the ending in yeah. the original? I don't know. Nice. Oh. No, <laughs> okay. I, we'll have I, to read it. I believe, I did read it, I just can't remember. I believe that um, there is no correlation with the fiancé. I believe oh, it's just a random person. It's just a down power line in a cemetery. If okay. Memory serves. Oh, gotcha. They have to hit the fields with the television show. I get it. Yeah, I'm going to just look that up and verify that. But Jim, what did you think of this episode? So I have a, uh, I kind of have a fear, not really a fear, but like kind of being alone and like a phone ringing that that's kind of like anxiety inducing for me. Uh, I don't know. It's just a, a thing that I have. It's these damn millennials that can never just take a phone call. <laughs> um, it's always text me this, snapping, yeah. chatting that. Twitter me. It, it's like <laughs> <laughs> there's I a lot that of. Uh, um, I, I don't know. There's a lot of horror movies where like killers call you. Like I don't. I can't name any examples. Yeah, but, um, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe not scream. I don't know. I don't know. But um, so. I found the premise creepy, especially when the the person on the phone call started talking. I was like, "Oh, this is like actually, yeah." I thought that was really creepy. Are you there? I was like, "Oh, is this like a dying person or yeah. something?" I was like, "Oh, that's really interesting." Or maybe it's like somebody from like another dimension calling. I don't know. So I actually just found the article that I was reading from. It's it's in the Wikipedia, and it says the original short story ends with Elva Keen um, finding out the calls coming from the cemetery. The caller's never identified. Instead, the story ends the following night when the phone rings and she answers. The voice says, hello, Mrs. Keene. I'll be right over. Oh, that's oh. creepy. So a little bit less of a connection to her life, but a little bit scarier. In yeah. the well, also that, that implies that death is coming for her, right? That's because she's old and. Yeah. Yeah. It's men- more menacing, I would say, but yes. less connected. Yeah. So this episode, I, I definitely felt the buildup on this one. Um, uh, the calling and it's like hello, hello, and then that, and then the next time it was like, 
uh, where are you and stuff like that. I was like, oh, that's like really cool that like these saying different things. And then it's kind of revealed that the, the down power line was in the cemetery. And I was like, oh, this is going to get spooky. And then <laughs> I was, I just also like supernatural stuff. I, that's just something that interests me. So it was like. Gremlins oh, aren't supernatural enough for you? Nah. Um, <laughs> I like ghosts, spooks, specters, and ghoulies. Ghoulies. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I just really like the twist. And um, I don't know, just the, the phone ringing is like a fear of mine. So uh, I just the phone ringing is a fear of mine. <laughs> wow, just oh, alone. No, it's not like a fear, but it's it's just something that I'm like, ooh, like I don't know. It I didn't think this was going to be the episode to hook Jimmy. No, I, I don't I know. Thought this was I be personally the one where he was don't like, like this episode. Yeah, really? I knew it was going to be divisive, and I oh, just I personally liked it just because it's like weird. Yeah, and yeah. creepy. That's what I, I was. I just kept saying, why did Jeff pick this? Oh, really? It's it's creepy. It's got a vibe <laughs> to it, but. Yeah. Sometimes just well, episodes we, just attached to you. Well, that too, and we picked such good episodes before. I just kind of wanted to round it out, give you the full Twilight well, Zone Well, you've experience. been on record that this is one of your favorites, so I'm not trying to, like, dog yeah, you yeah, or no, anything. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, but, like, I also know it's not, like, beloved. a great episode or mm. beloved. I've I've yeah. always been upfront about it. But, uh, well, I'm glad Jimmy connected to yeah, it. Yeah, it, it was... That's great. Yeah, I really liked it. It was one of my favorite episodes. And going back to something Dan said before about uh, the HD transfer, mm-hmm. I, I've i never seen the HD transfer of this until I just watched it now. Yeah. And it was beautifully shot, especially yeah, in the sure. beginning. Yeah. It was just like the deeps... The, the deeps. The blacks <laughs> were so deep, and it was just really crisp and mm-hmm. lovely. Yeah. I thought that um, it was interesting seeing a premise that revolves around, like, technology to an extent you know the fear of prank phone calls or the unknown that could be coming through the line it mm-hmm. was interesting seeing that in the context of the early 1960s yeah. when it was still a little foreign a little um it's new yeah yeah not not time wise but there hadn't been that many advances from the original telephones yeah and it was still an other in people's lives and could be used in a threatening manner. Mm-hmm. Like nowadays, even even in the 90s with caller ID and answering machines and stuff like that, there became a level of familiarity and a level of control through communications that probably would not have frightened someone as much as Mrs. Keene, who had a look of complete bewilderment mm-hmm. when she answered the phone no, and I there mean, was that, no one there. That's even yeah. going into the 90s. I mean, like my grandparents didn't have a... yeah. Caller ID or answering machine. Yeah, caller ID is fairly new comparatively to yeah, the 60s. Yeah, I, I didn't have caller ID when I was growing yeah, up. So yeah, so there was a level of anonymity when you answered yeah, the phone. Yeah. You don't know what could be on the other line. Exactly. So it was cool to see it in that context. I don't know if a story like this would have worked as well now. I mean, there are sort of modern day parables. It can be adapted. You, you know, there's, mm. there's things like in, um, there's movies, like I think there's a moment in Scream where someone is communicating via the computer through like an anonymous chat name or something like that. That are sort sort of like the same feeling. Maybe. Anyways, do you want to talk about sort of overall thoughts on the whole series? All right. It's not like I wrote a paragraph or anything. Oh, boy. Um, I had some issues with the pacing, but I'm not going to fault that to the show. It was just what people were used to back in the day. Um, I would would say that's not true. And I would say for its time, this Mm. might have even been ahead of the curve. Oh, you don't think think the pacing is better? For the time, For the I mean, time. I've, I've seen a lot of shows I think in compared that time to period. other stuff, it is a lot faster. And I think that's mm. why at the time or shortly thereafter, it was such revolutionary received so mm. well. Okay. Because I can see it, that. it was 
different enough and produced extremely well. Mm. Well, it was sort of incumbent on them to keep a faster pace because they had to tell an entire story in For one sure. episode. Yeah. With all new characters, all new settings. Mm. And because of the nature of these stories, sometimes there'd be even extenuating circumstances that you had to explain, like ghosts or mm. differences in the way reality works and stuff. Yeah, I, I'm not too familiar with 1950s, 1960s television. The closest I can get to is Star Trek, the original series, and that's very slowly paced in my it opinion. Is. I think um, it's worse than Twilight Zone. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I, I think Twilight Zone was a lot better, but I, I still felt it a little slow, just kind of trying to... Uh, I don't know. Uh, well, I think we have a different attention span now. Yeah, I agree. And it's harder for us to dwell on emotional beats or thematic I mean, yeah. beats. Jim, you're in the industry. You yeah. consume a lot of media. Yeah. Even like music videos. If you watch music videos from the 80s or 90s and compare them to today. Oh, for sure. The cuts are just like. Yeah, yeah. Cut, 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 yeah. cut. Yeah. Because our, our brains are just wired for that fast moving. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Um, let's see where I was. Um, oh, this is where I was, I was going to go. Um, I just felt it a little repetitive, not from episode to episode, but like within an episode, within an episode, it was very much the only one that I didn't have a problem with. It was a uh, night call. Um, oh. I, I just felt it was it was building more and more. Whereas at Nightmare in 20,000 feet, it was like the same thing happening every time. Yeah. I mean, night call is very repetitive, like structurally. But I get what you're saying that you're you're interested because you don't know what's going to happen on the next call. You know there's going to mm -hmm. be a next call, but exactly. you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Whereas with the gremlin, it's he's just trying to take apart the plane. Yeah. And yeah. So I, I don't know. That was just a thing. Um, I don't think uh, the obsolete man or time enough at last had that problem. Um, that that was just like a, a through story. Yeah. Um, um, it I wasn't like so much about like ramping up a, no, pa no. a pattern. Yeah, a little bit of that in five characters in search of an exit trying to get out, but that only happened twice. That wasn't yeah. crazy. Um, let's see. Uh, the two standout episodes for me were The Obsolete Man and Night Call. Um, I thought they were I genuinely... I see this coming, Dan. I thought they were genuinely interesting episodes with neat ideas, and they were executed perfectly, in my opinion. Uh, Wordsworth reading the Bible when the Chancellor was stuck in the room with him was great i just thought that was so like thematic um and uh the twist at the end was like an oh shit moment with uh it was like oh he's the obsolete man yep. and then they're turning on him i thought that was really cool and with night call i just thought it was creepy and executed um very well from being scary and then she was it was like something that she wanted because she wanted not to not be alone um and then um yeah so th that's that's how i'm feeling yeah, I mean, the only other things that I wanted to add to it are, I think if you were talked into it, it's probably the best time to be talked into the Twilight Zone mm. in our lifetimes. Um, not only because of the availability of extremely beautiful, high quality looking yeah. transfers, like they did a great job when they cleaned these up. They they initially went through the original film negatives and cleaned them up for the Blu-ray, mm -hmm. but I'm assuming those are the same transfers that they're using yeah, they've streaming. Yeah, I'm sure. Um so they're very rich and detailed and just beautiful, clean transfers. Mm -hmm. People forget that even though it's old, when you get prior to the 1970s, they were filming on film, even for television. Mm -hmm. So the conversion is is well, beautiful. So yeah, I don't yeah. know a lot about the technical aspects of it. I used to be more into it when Blu-ray was first coming out yeah, mm -hmm. and getting into high def. But it, I believe anything shot on like film, like Wizard of Oz or something, 
new technologies that come out are going to look great up until like 10 kp <laughs> like the, it just the film has such a yeah there's so much detail packed into right it. whereas mm-hmm. if you film something in like 1080p it's kind of capped out there yeah also yeah. you even hit worse eras in the late 70s through 90s because they were the, filming television on, on VHS, tape yeah. yeah which is way diminished quality <laughs> I mean, you can up convert it to high definition, but Mm -hmm. there's only so much detail in there for you to expose. But uh, so so that's one of the reasons. Obviously, we spoke about the Jordan Peele launch on CBS Mm -hmm. All Access. And I just think it's going to be when that comes out, it's going to be more in the cultural zeitgeist. For sure. And I think there's some films that are bringing that typical that type of genre back into importance. Mm hmm. we talked about Jordan Peele's Get Out, and he's yeah. got Us. We're seeing that tonight, actually. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, there's also a film called Hereditary that came out last year. Yeah, that was fantastic. Uh, they just feel definitely inspired by The Twilight Zone. I could see that. And yeah, you could sign into Hulu or CBS All Access and just have a plethora there. of stories. And Black yeah. Mirror. I'm not oh, a Black Mirror sure. fan yet, oh. but oh. from what I've heard... It's definitely the spiritual child to the Twilight Zone. Yeah, I agree with that. It's yeah. a digital based Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's technology is bad. A hugely popular series on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very popular. So, and the other thing that stands out to me, besides just this being a good time, is I think as someone who um, respects film and TV and watches a lot of it and mm-hmm. knows what he's seeing. Yeah. Um, Sure, some of the production can be a little hokey and some of the concepts can be a little mm. narrow-minded because of the time period, but I think you have to point out that this series is beautifully written. Oh, for sure. Rod Serling really put a stamp on <laughs> this series. Come on, Siri. <laughs> you said series and Siri answered. Um, and yeah, so it's just every episode is lush and full of meaning and description Mm-hmm. It's like poetry. Oh, for sure. Very well written. Um, uh, my favorite parts of the episode were Rod Sterling just talking to the audience. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, and the I- iconic intro song. And yeah, yeah. It's just a. It's an iconic series. Yeah. So Jimmy, oh, Dan and I would like to ask you the question. Yeah. Did we talk you into the Twilight Zone? Hmm. No. Oh. oh, just kidding! It's the Twilight Zone. No means yes. Oh. Yay! Yay! I didn't see that twist coming. <laughs> we all just raised our arms in the air. <laughs> yeah, we did. No, it was really good. Oh my god, I'm so excited. I was nervous. He sounded negative. I, on it. I, I, oh, I didn't really? know how it was going to go because there were a lot of ne- negatives, but there were also a lot of positives. Mm-hmm. So I think the positives captured your curiosity enough. Yeah, yeah. To there's like a hundred and seventy or yeah. I don't remember how many episodes. There's a lot. There's a lot of episodes and yeah. there's a lot of good. And sometimes there's going to be a dud. Mm-hmm. They're not all winners, but no, there's so many good episodes, and I'm so happy. Yeah. Now we talked you into it. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I'm. I'm excited. Um. I'm definitely going to probably not continually watch it, like binge watch it, but it's <laughs> it's going to be something that I'm I'm going to keep on my radar. Um. Like I said, I've seen the Twilight Zone before, but I've never taken that deep dive. And uh, I am definitely going to be taking the plunge. It's a fun one to get into because yeah. it's it's episodic. It's serialized. So you could throw a couple on your phone and watch them on your lunch break mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever. It's it's perfect binge watching material. Yeah. I you agree. can watch them out of order if mm-hmm. you want. I would also like to say to the audience, let's say there's somebody listening 
that's already into the Twilight Zone. They've seen all the episodes. They mm-hmm. love it. But they want more. After the Twilight Zone ended, Rod Serling had another show called Night Gallery, which was mm. an anthology series. It was similarly structured to Twilight Zone. Yeah. Not as good as Twilight Zone, but it was still good. It ran for several seasons. I believe that's on Hulu. Okay. Also, if you want to get super deep and nerdy into Man. Rod Serling, because you like Rod Serling, you said. Yeah. He had essentially a Twilight Zone radio show oh, called really? The Zero Hour that okay. ran for uh, two seasons. Yeah. And in the early 2000s, I bought all of them on CD-ROMs <laughs> on awesome. eBay. Um, but <laughs> it's it's uh, public domain. It's okay. public domain, and you could easily find them online, I'm sure, in 2019. Yeah, so I'm the sure. Night Gallery and Zero Hour, if oh. you want to continue your Rod Serling love. Okay. I don't know good. why I always thought that his next series was The Outer Limits. They're, that's not connected to Rod Serling? No, it's just a, a similar show. Oh, okay. Oh. So Night Gallery. I might have to talk myself into that. Yeah, there's there's a few good episodes. Mm, okay. So Jimmy. Yeah. If I'm correct. You're correct. I believe next week it's your turn to talk Jeff and I into something. Oh boy, do I. So this is a comic book. That um, we haven't done a comic book yet. You boys are comic book boys. I like the the medium. I'm excited. So uh, by an author that you both enjoy, Brian K. Vaughn. Oh. Um, it is a series called Paper Girls, which is a sci-fi little kids riding bikes and then fighting supernatural things and uh, maybe a little time travel into it. Oh, Wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Well, oh. Hopefully it's better than this description. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. Sounds good. I like well, time travel. Yeah, we'll get into it more uh, for next episode, but I'm going to have you guys read um, the first trade paperback uh, as the first five issues and uh, it's 10 bucks. So how hard could that be? And then uh, go support your local comic book store and then uh, then yeah. buy it. And if you can't buy it, Brian yeah. K. Vaughn is a pretty well-respected uh, comic book writer. Mm-hmm. I would imagine if you have a decent library near you that has a decent graphic novel section, mm-hmm. you may be able to borrow it from your local library. Oh, yeah, you can do that. So I uh, I highly encourage everybody to read Paper Girls, the first trade paperback, or if you want single issues, by all means. It's the first five issues, and uh, it's a quick read. I read it in a day. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, read Paper Girls. So, if you feel so inclined, oh. you can send us an email at talkmeinto at gmail.com. Uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at talkmeinto. And, uh, yeah, review us on iTunes, and uh, make sure you subscribe. You can even do it on Spotify and Stitcher. Yeah, do all those things. Yeah. Wow. Dan, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, they could find me on Twitter at Danny underscore breakdown, and they can read my film reviews because I don't know a lot, but I feel a lot. Oh. And you can read what I feel on Letterboxd under the name Danny Breakdown. How about you, Jeff? You can find me on Twitter at J-E-F-F-F-F-F-27, Jeff with five Fs, 27. And... Instagram, large heart on collider. If you want to see me cook Indian food most Mm. of the time. Jimmy. I'm at son of a fitch. S-O-N-N-A-B-A-F-I-T-C-H on Instagram and Twitter. And um, follow my photography Instagram as well. At son of a pics. Because I'm punny. Oh, I like it. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Talk Me Into. What will we talk you into next? 
Paper Girls, hopefully. Paper Girls, Paper Girls, all about that Paper Girls. 